Okay, let's do a little review. Uh, we've been covering a lot of territory each week <coughs> because this is more of a survey than it is spending six weeks on one story. <laughs> like Josh is promising to do. But we'll, we'll deal with him later. Uh, last week, chapter 15, uh, God tells uh, <coughs> Saul to settle accounts with Amalek. Uh, this is an area in, in, of the world that had opposed Israel as they came from Egypt long ago. Uh, Saul is told to destroy everything, but the best of the livestock is spared along with King Agag, and they bring them back. They destroyed only what was worthless or poor quality, according <coughs> to the New Living Translation. Can you see up there? Uh, and then the Lord tells Samuel, I am sorry that I ever made Saul king because obviously the Lord knows he hasn't obeyed. He's not loyal. He refused to obey. And the Bible says that Samuel is so moved by the Lord's denunciation of Saul that he, uh, more, he cries out all night. And then in 1512, it says that Saul went after the uh, capture of the... Uh, Amalekites. Saul went on to Carmel and then to Gilgal. And what, what exactly did Saul do on his way back to Gilgal at Carmel? I think it's a, kind of an indicator or insight, gives you insight into what Saul's problem was be, becoming here. It says he set up an image of himself. You know, when you get in a position of authority, it's hard not to begin to think more of yourself than you really should. Uh, but the very idea of setting up an image of yourself. You know, sometimes uh, our friend the painter back here is called on to do portraits. Uh, and hopefully it's by somebody wanting to honor you versus yourself, you know, to place in a place of honor in a public place. But he went to, to Carmel to put up an image of himself went on back to Gilgal, and that's when Samuel comes and confronts him with the front. You know, he says, what have you done, Saul? And uh, what does uh, uh, Saul say? I have carried out the Lord, Lord's command. I'm reminded of that scene in that great movie, Cool Hand Luke, when Strother Martin is standing over Paul Newman, he says, Now you got it wrong. You 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 got it wrong. It's what we got here. Congratulations. No, he said what we have here. I think I said this man back here gets the prize. He said what we've got here. He did, he used more colloquial English, not what we have here. I'm gonna go back and listen to it just to be sure. You'll hear God. But what what we've got here is a failure to communicate. Uh, Saul, in his, I think at, at this moment, he'd rationalize in his head that he had obeyed. But he hadn't. Because uh, Samuel says, wait a minute, listen, what is it I hear? I hear all the animals, the livestock that you brought back. So I think that uh, as, you, as you see Saul, he's struggling with what he is. So Saul, uh, Saul, uh, Samuel says, what is more pleasing? Your burnt offerings or sacrifices or your obedience. Rebellion is as bad as witchcraft, which is pretty terrible. Stubbornness is as bad as worshiping idols. Now, 
if stubbornness is as bad as worshiping idols, several of us have problems, don't we? Because we can be stubborn at times. Uh, if you think how s- it pictures Samuel here as being sad and mourning and, and up all night, uh, this is not the first time he's had to deliver uh, God's judgment, is it? If you think back, he had to tell Eli when he's pretty pretty young. He had to tell Eli that he was rejected by God. And here, another time, he's rejecting. Okay. Finally, Saul does say, to his credit, I think, let's see, where did I go down there? Okay, I'm missing a bullet, wherever it happened. But he does say, I've sinned. 24. 24. Yeah, I've sinned. He begs Samuel to go worship with him. Samuel finally relents, but then he says it goes back home to Ramah never again to be with Saul. Alright, today's lesson we're going to look at the anointing of David, uh, David entering Saul's service, the story of David and Goliath in about five minutes, and Josh is going to take six weeks. Conflict between Saul and David, and then the escape, and then the uh, continuing unfolding of that, and the relationship with, <coughs> with Jonathan in more detail. Philip, just yep. one brief comment on this uh, in chapter 16 it's verse 14 it's always been stunning to me now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. years and years and years ago uh, there was an elder I, I, I don't want to call his name why not but, oh it was John Rutgers. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and John had gone to visit a missionary and he came back and he said <clears throat> I am sorry to report I think the Spirit of the Lord has left this man. You could see I it. Thought, I thought that was one of the most condemning, mm. frightening, scary mm. statements mm-hmm. that I had ever heard. Someone, this, is a, this is an elder in the Lord's church appointed by the Holy Spirit who says, I think the Spirit of the Lord has left you. Mm. I pray I never hear oh, wait, that's right. that statement. But you, you just imagine the power behind that mm. one statement. Mm-hmm. God has left <clears> this man. That's a, that's a frightening, frightening statement. Okay, we're two slides. I got you. I got you. We're two slides over. Okay, so Saul's rejected. Samuel's gone back home. We don't know exactly how long has transpired. But verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 1 says, Finally, the Lord said to Samuel, You have mourned long enough for Saul. I've rejected him as king of Israel. Uh, fill up your horn. Go to Bethlehem, find a man named Jesse. I have selected one of Jesse's sons to be my new king. Okay. So he's announced it. Now, he's already said earlier, I've rejected him. I'm, I've, I've got a man in mind according to my own heart or according to my own selection. Somebody I'm selecting and not in the same uh, uh, way as what Saul was selected. What was Samuel's response to God? Fear. What fear of what? Yeah, Saul's still king. He still commands an army. He's still uh, pretty uh, high-strung. So if he finds out I'm going to anoint a new king, he may take care of me. And interesting that God has what kind of response? What does He tell him to do? Well, we're going to give you a 
another mission also, and you're going to just talk about that one. Right. Sort of a, a cover story, if you will. Take a heifer, make a sacrifice, and he did. He, he was going to sacrifice, but a little bit of... Uh, a little bit of undercover work for Samuel. So, so Samuel does take a heifer and he starts out to Bethlehem. Now notice that we're leaving with this action. We're going to be leaving the tribe of Benjamin behind. And the tribe of Judah becomes the principal uh, way in which God is going to reveal himself going forward. He, he arrives in Bethlehem. What's the reaction of the leaders of the town? Uh, they're, they're a little bit upset and afraid. Uh, he's still a judge. As Brueggemann uh, says, uh, Samuel's still a king maker and a king breaker. I thought that was pretty well put. And they, uh, they, they want to, do you come in peace is their question. And he assures them that he is. So he, when he gets there, he does invite Jesse and seven sons come. They purify themselves to prepare for the sacrifice. And upon looking at uh, Jesse's first and oldest son, Eliab, what is uh, Samuel's reaction? He must be the one. You must be the one. But in verses 6 and 7, uh, he does say, at, at looking at Eliab, the oldest, Surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't make decisions the way you do. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at a person's thoughts and intentions. That's a, that's a very penetrating, you know... We are, we are told over and over that God can see everything. And that is a very intimidating thought at times. Because we all struggle with what we think. So what happened to Saul? Sorry? God made a mistake. Why is it, did he do this with Saul? Is this a rhetorical question? Yeah. <laughs> oh, you want an answer. <laughs> question that question, says, God made a mistake. Is that right? Did he make a mistake? Upon whose fault does Saul's issues lie? Saul. Saul. All right. Well, why is it Saul's mistake and not God's mistake? Jim? God says he regretted his decision. But why did he regret his decision? These, I'm not asking rhetorical questions. These are questions that demand answers. Well, this is not the only time that God has talked about regretting his decision. At least twice, Moses pleaded for the Israelite people because God was ready to destroy all of them mm -hmm. and because they were so disobedient. And even in Noah, he regretted he made man. Right? Yeah. And he was going to destroy everybody, but... As Genesis 6 says, Noah found grace. It's one of the, I guess, philosophers, Fred, have argued, and we'll look at it a little bit in a minute, um, where the evil spirit comes on Saul. From God, it says. And in the Old Testament mindset, 
since everything comes from God, or as Hannah prayed, um, he, he makes one rise and another fall. He brings life and death. It is that it's a, it's a, it's a, a dilemma for us in our, in our culture to understand. But Saul had an opportunity to not do what he did, didn't he not? But under his free will, he chose not to do what he was Perhaps supposed to do. it's godly to quickly admit your mistake <clears throat> and how human it is for us to take forever and mm. to get to that place. But didn't, uh, when Saul was chosen, God changed him? Universal miracles. Well, the Spirit came upon Saul. <laughs> yeah. So you have an op- but you know, as, we're going to talk about that more in just a minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hand. You know, in, in having read that, it seemed to me what God was regretting was listening to the people of Israel because what it says about Saul when he chose him is he was a head taller than everybody else and impressive. And this is what the people wanted. They wanted a king, they didn't want God. They wanted someone who looked the part. And so they tried that and it didn't work. And a key phrase was let us have a king like all the nations around us. And that's what they got, wasn't it? He, was, he had the same weaknesses as all the other kings around him. Uh, Fred said maybe it's godly that we admit our mistakes quickly. Uh, organizations, chief executive officers, people in charge of large operations, they make decisions even in selection of people. And sometimes, you know, you don't want to be uh, too quick to not give people a chance. Even God does. But, but, you know, you have to, at some point, cut your losses uh, and go on. And sometimes that requires taking drastic action. Regret is not necessarily admitting that you made a mistake. It's, I wish it hadn't turned out this way. Right. He wishes Saul had done right. Okay. So all seven are presented. Each, as each one comes in, God says, no, it's not him. And then finally the question comes, are there any more? Are there any more sons? Send for the last son, David, a shepherd. How appropriate a shepherd, because shepherd becomes synonymous with how God looks after his sheep, and Jesus is the great shepherd, so that imagery is uh, quite appropriate. If you think about uh, even Jesse coming in this family, uh, Jesse's grandmother is Ruth, a Moabite. Uh, Boaz is in the lineage of Jesse. And that, through Boaz is Rahab, the harlot, in the Joshua story. And also Tamar in Genesis chapter 38. But David does come in and God says, this is the one. He was ruddy. What does ruddy bring... What kind of image does that conjure up? Ruddy. He's ruddy. Sunburn, red. Okay. He's handsome. Now, again, God says don't be judgmental just because of how they look, how tall they are, and yet David is handsome. With uh, New Living says pleasant eyes. And so Saul anoints him in front of his brothers. This is not a public event, but it, it binds God 
to the vision of where the kingdom is going. Now, how do you think the other seven brothers, Catherine, you're nodding your head, you got, you got four boys. What if, what if a prophet, what if a prophet showed up at your house and poured oil on Hank's head and said, what, how, would, how would the other three react? So, when you, yeah, you think you're special. Mom always liked you best. Oh yeah. So in a few minutes, when we we look at the at, look at the Samson story, you're going to see some of that family dynamics pop out as Eliab Eliab confronts David out on the battlefield, and there's a little yeah 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 yeah. So when you and, and, and you think about David's anointing, and then Samuel goes away. And usually, when somebody gets promoted, we send them off to training to be. That should be some king training. It'd be a seminar. Uh, you know, used to, when we were, we were promoted to manager, or senior manager, they call them now, we had to go to charm school. I was never very charming. But you had to go to charm school to learn how to act and be more executive-like. David is just sent back out. He goes back out to the fields. It does say the Spirit of God came upon him mightily. And yet, when you see Bible character after Bible character where the Spirit does come upon them, it doesn't, it doesn't change who they are totally, but they have to learn to work with that power call upon that power and uh, use it appropriately but it doesn't totally change who they are okay yeah no one died. so if you think about David sitting out there with those sheep pondering and thinking about what all that could mean and so it also says uh, a, a, a troubling spirit came upon Saul he begins to have uh, issues. He can't sleep. He has problems. And so his servants uh, start to wonder about a solution. And they suggest music. How many, to, to how many of you find music soothing? Or at least some music soothing? And, you know, you put a, you know depending on your mood, I want to hear some, I want to hear some, I want to hear a country song. I want to hear, uh, you know, you know, what, what was the drink about the tequila makes your clothes fall off? Or, you know, I mean, you can't make this stuff. Now, that's not soothing. That's not soothing. That's a country song. But, you know, a, a, some, of, some of Mozart's piano concertos can make me feel very relaxed. But, uh, so they suggest music. And they come up with a suggestion of David. Now, how has his reputation spread? We don't know. We really don't know. But this tormenting spirit from God. A minute ago, again, in the Old Testament view, everything came from God. Hannah prayed in her prayer in chapter 2, verse 6. The Lord brings life and death. He raises one up, brings another down. Also, 1 Kings 22 is the scene where God says, Who can we send to take care of Ahab? And this spirit shows up and says, well, I can go take care of him. And he says, okay, go ahead. So uh, it's, not, it's not the kind of uh, 
view we have God's all good, nothing bad can come from God, uh, but this picture is slightly different. Saul's behavior is so bizarre, we might call him bipolar or something else today. So Saul sends for him. David, father Jesse, loads up a donkey with gifts for the king. He goes over, Saul likes him, asks him to join his staff, and Saul would feel better when he heard the music. Uh, and apparently, David doesn't spend full time here as we see him in the next scene as maybe spending, splitting his time between Saul's court when he feels bad and back home tending the sheep uh, when he uh, is not over at Saul's place. Maybe it's the unfolding story of how the providence of God's bringing David into the story. Uh, maybe it's a chance for David to see how a king should act. Maybe it's a chance for David to be exposed to more people. Uh, you know, th again, how old was David when he was anointed? He's a boy. He, we know he's a boy. Uh, in the Old Testament... Uh, people were not counted as adults until age 20 and above. At least that's how they were numbered, you know, back in numbers. Uh, 20 and above seemed to be a cutoff between adult and childhood. Uh, some commentators I read said David could have been age 10 to 15 when he was anointed king, just a boy. And so this confrontation was with uh, Goliath that's coming up. He's still a boy. He's looked at him as a boy. So it could, it could be a, a, a training exercise. So today, David and Goliath, chapter 17, as Josh said in his sermon, they're on, the Philistines are on one hill, not mountains, but a hill. I guess it could be a mountain. We'll give him the benefit of the doubt. One mountain is Philistines, one mountain the Israelites, the valley in between. They're dug in their positions, and the Philistines issue a one-on-one -on -one challenge. Man-to-man, -man, one person. We'll send out our representative. Of course, they had this giant uh, who I saw some estimates, maybe nine feet tall and challenged one-on-one -on -one battle, winner take all. And so Saul and the Israelites are terrified. Goliath menaces for 40 days. David is dividing his time between Saul's and his father's house. And we picked up the story is that he is shuttling to the battlefield. Remember, they did not have instant messaging. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have even a telephone line. They had to rely on person-to-person -person communications. And so uh, Jesse sent David up to the front line to send some food to the sons that were in Saul's army and to bring news back. So a dual-purpose mission, if you will. And David learns of the offer that Saul has issued to anyone who will fight, or fight Goliath and win does what? What kind of prize? Come on. What kind of prize do you get? You get a daughter, Merib. So this uh, is, a, he, he, he hears this offer, and then he talks with some of the soldiers, and he says this, and this may be a real key to David's character and why he was chosen by God. When he says this response, he, he hears all the stories about how Goliath is menaced, is raving on about fighting. Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? 
Some people reach their spiritual peak at different stages of life. And this is almost, as, we, as you go on through David's life, this may be one of the peaks. Is he, in his youthful innocence, I mean, as we watched those young people baptize the other night, still so much innocence there. And you would like for them to be able to keep it forever. And the faithfulness they, they exhibited to God. But here David says, Who is this to defy the armies of the living God? Now, the principal thing that God keeps dealing with all these people for that he doesn't like is what? Their trust in what? Idols. A piece of metal, a, a carved piece of wood, some chiseled stone that they say these are our gods, not the spiritual, the living God. Uh, I, as we all think in our own lives, how do we keep the idea that there is a living God who loves me, that, that, that has promised all these promises, and keep that real in our lives? I think that's the struggle. But David here shows that he is feeling that strongly. So, David's brother Eliab walks over. He's, he hears this, and what does he say? Uh, verses 28 through 31. David's oldest brother Eliab heard David talking to the men. He was angry. What are you doing here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and dishonesty. You just want to see the battle. And David's answer, Well, what have I done now? I was only asking a question. He walks off from Eliab, goes over and talks to the other, and asks him about the promise again. So David's question and answer is reported to Saul. So the family dynamics, you get a little insight into there, is that they're not thinking very much of David and his being anointed. So then David's conversation with Saul. David goes in to see, see Saul, and he says, in the, again, in New Living Translation, I'll go fight the Philistine. Don't be ridiculous, Saul says. There's no way you can go up against him. You're only, you're only a boy, and he has been in the army since he was a boy. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep. When a lion or a bear comes out to steal, I go after it with a club and take the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears. I'll do it to this pagan Philistine. Now listen though. For he has defied the armies of the living, Lord, uh, living God. Now here's the key. The Lord who saved me from the claws of the lion and the bear will save me from the Philistine. And so that again, <clears throat> I think shows where David's true faith is. It's not in himself. Yes, he's, he knows how to sling the sling and the rock, but he knows that the Lord has to be with him to do that. Yeah? Why do you think um, Saul, that this was an all or nothing proposition? Why did he let David go out? Would you bet the mm. country of... So he's betting the kingdom, huh? Yeah. Mm. On a kid, untested kid? I mean, I, I'm trying to think what Saul was thinking. Anybody have any idea? Yep. I think their mindset at the time, from what I was reading, is that 
they really believe, like you talked about, they believe that God's caused everything. They really believe that the, the twisting God and the Israel, Israelite God would determine the outcome of the battle. They, that was their mindset, that whoever went out there, whether whether it was David or whether it was someone who had a bunch of armor, that it was the gods that actually determined the outcome. And so maybe it's some, maybe that's one of the reasons why David was so confident, but it's also maybe maybe that's the reason why Saul was convinced at some point that maybe this guy was the one who had some favor. He also had the depression and the believe when David would come in. I mean, I don't think it was all just the music. I think it was being in the presence of somebody who had the spirit of God in him. Mm-hmm. You know, it's more powerful than a spirit of darkness. So I, I think I think he knew there was that God was with David. And God told him, God's going to help me. Yeah, and, and he may be, too, an assessment. They, they, they spent all this time encamped on the opposing hills, but it may be, again, the Philistines are always seen as the more powerful army. And, it, and in a few minutes here, as, as uh, David talks to, to Goliath, uh, let me go on down through these verses. They go out in, in the confrontation with Goliath in chapter 17, through 41 through 51. Uh, Goliath says, Am I a dog that you come only with me a, with, toward me with a stick? Remember, David has his uh, staff, his shepherd's staff, and he has his sling. That's all he has. So he has a stick in one hand. He cursed David by the name of his gods. Come on over here, I'll give your flesh to the birds. And here's what David shouted in reply. You come to me with sword, spear, javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel who you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. See how he separates? The Lord's going to conquer. I'll simply carry out the, the act. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel, and everyone will know that the Lord does not need weapons to rescue the people, His people. It is His battle, not ours. The Lord will give you to us. So that's David's view. And again, this may be the spiritual peak for him and the rest of his life is downhill almost. He's just got total youthful innocence and faith that uh, you would like to think I, I as a Christian could have this kind of trust and faith in God. So David credits the Lord for this. Now, Sally, you read something about a Jewish tradition as, as uh, David is facing off against Goliath. Remember, he's related to Ruth the Moabite, and Ruth fo- uh, followed Naomi. But Ruth had a sister, right? Well, I assume it was a sister, but it was the other sister-in-law of Orpah who stayed in Moab. And Jewish tradition is that Goliath was a descendant of her. Okay, or whatever that's worth. It's just interesting. Okay, so you got five more weeks with Josh on this story, so we won't belabor it this morning. Just one question real Uh quickly. Is, Is... David the only one who went out to fight during this time? You have no indication. Well, what happens after he does kill Goliath? Then then the Israelite soldiers do pursue. Yeah, I'm thinking of before David, though. Has Goliath killed any others? Have they sent out people? I, it says he taunts them. He taunts them every day. day. I'm just wondering, if, did anybody else fight him? 
I was thinking that when you said, why did he send them? I mean, it said for 40, for 40 yeah. days every morning and night. It makes it sound like nobody else yeah. had stepped up. So that may have been, too, when he showed up and said, I'll do it. it mm -hmm. He may have really felt like God sent him. Mm -hmm. Nobody else had. I mean, he was the first one to... It seems like the pressure, the pressure is building on Saul. If you recall, Saul is likely the largest, tallest, mm -hmm. quote, giant in the Israel. Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, this is pure speculation, but I think Saul was tickled to have anyone but him step into the breach. You know, and at that age, when you're that young, too, I mean, I was just thinking about my own daughters, they just thought that they could do anything. Yeah. Yeah. You know, no fear. Yeah. Fear, mm -hmm. I think it's ironic that it's chapter 17 because if he's been around 17 year old boy, they're invincible. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. And uh, the, when Samuel anointed, I mean, uh, anointed David, power of the Lord came he did. upon him. It did. So this is, I mean, this may be even exceptional for. And most of the time, the power of the Lord is used to do things to convince other people that God's God, not just in view. A person with spirituality, because the, pe the people endued struggle with that, even as Paul did, uh, or Peter did, to, uh, to go preach to the Gentiles. He had to yeah. be convinced, even though he had miraculous gifts. Is it possible that Saul regarded this as his last resort, maybe, and he gave up and said, "Okay, you go ahead, get killed." Yeah, that that's that's right, because it does as as, as you go on further. Uh, chapter 18 is where David and Jonathan meet. Uh, they develop an immediate bond. And you don't know, again, how long that took, what period of time elapsed, but apparently it was a, a sense, you know, you, you had a relationship start pretty quickly. Yeah, Sally? One thing that you found this week that you just skipped over it going to chapter 18. Okay. That last verse of chapter 17 where Saul suddenly says, um, whose son are you? Yet he supposedly has been playing the harp for him. Yeah, that is a, at the end, uh, as after he kills Goliath, and they tell Saul uh, who did it, he says, well, whose son are you? It's as though he doesn't know him. And the only explanation, we were talking about a little bit before class with uh, George and, and Jim and others, these stories are assembled from different fragments and manuscripts uh, they may be different authors. It may be a little out of sequence. And so that's the only explanation that, that, that can kind of make sense here is you have uh, competing authors, but they were gathered together and put together in this book we call First and Second Samuel, which in all likelihood was one big book, and they just split it in half to make it two. Yeah, but you did find that other possible interpretation of that phrase that rather than whose son are you, it was Saul seeking allegiance from yeah. David. Rather than say, yeah, that's right. Thank you for reminding me of that. I, that was very, very good. It, yeah. It, it, yeah, one, one, uh, one place I read was, whose son are you, is are you a son of Saul? Are you, are you, do you have allegiance to me now that you've done this and you're in a position of power? Are you my son in... Uh, you, are you one of my followers, or are you, are you going to be somebody else's? You going to be your own? So. And David skirted it by saying, "I'm Jesse's son, and he follows God." Yeah. 
Okay. The relationship with Jonathan, somebody, some people today even look at this and say they pervert it by saying they're homosexual. There's a homosexual relationship. Hmm. Nothing, nothing in the Bible would indicate that that's true. Uh, you know, you're a you are a lucky man if you have one or two male friends that you can truly count on no matter what. I met a guy on the first day I served an internship as a college junior with the firm I eventually spent 36 years with. And Charles Shambly and I formed a bond, started that bond formation, and we are friends to this day. When his children were little, they had Sally and me in their will to be the guardian of their children if anything happened to them. But they came to us and said, even though you're not Baptist, <laughs> we believe that if something happened to us, you would raise our children as Christians. And there's no one else in our family that we could trust our children with. That's a tremendous bond. Uh, when my mother and father died, Justin Myrick, who's now the Dean of Engineering at Lipscomb, who I went to college with, was in our wedding, was there to stand with us at the morning of my mother's death. Ansley Watley lives in Dothan, Alabama. Same thing. People you don't see necessarily for years, but you think you see that as a relationship with Jonathan. So uh, we're run out of time, and that's all we can say this morning. But look at chapters 18, 19, and 20. They really deal with the relationship with Saul, how it continues to sour. It goes up and down. He tries to kill David a couple of times just by throwing a spear at him. Uh, how that eventually uh, Saul, uh, David does marry Michael, another daughter of Saul, and she loves, loves David very much. In a, one chapter, six times it says that Jonathan and Michael love him, that the people of Israel love him, that the servants of Saul love him. So David was somebody people did love and respect. Um, but eventually it just drives Saul mad, and he goes after him in a very, very profound way. So any other thing you want to say this morning? Thank you for showing up on a holiday weekend and for participating. And we will see it. And Terry, Terry's leading the class next week, so spread the word. We'll fill the room up next week. Thanks. If you need a reading list, they're up here on the front row. It tells you what we're reading each week. Thank you.